0: Thinking about it, it's it's too bad that Matthew or uh, Psalm 23 is so so used. <laughs> we hear it everywhere, and it, it, it's too bad because every time I hear it fresh and new again, it it just encourages me. So Psalm 23 says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows." He leads me to restful waters. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, Goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Okay, buddy. If you're worried about being wet, you can put on your shoes if you want. The last one over, buddy. Can you just move it? Yeah, thanks. The notion, the idea of Jesus as the shepherd is all over the scriptures. Especially in the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been studying. Matthew 2, verse 6 says that Jesus will be the shepherd over the people of Israel. Matthew 9, verse 36 says Jesus looks at the people and he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 25 and 26, Jesus will again identify himself as the shepherd and the people as his flock. In the scriptures, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. It is an image of being the sheep, the sheep. The sheep of God goes way, way back in the minds of the people of Israel. Often in the mornings as I start my personal time of prayer, I I begin with this word of remembering. Psalm 79 verse 13 says, We are, after all, your people, the sheep of your very own pasture. The people of God, to be the people of God is to be identified as the sheep. And so then in Matthew 12, 1 to 14, at that time, Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, so they were picking heads of wheat and eating them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath law. Now, this is a little bit different than just eating some grapes while you're shopping, right? The, the Hebrew scriptures clearly allowed for the picking of grain off the edges of fields to eat, especially if you were poor or you didn't have a lot of money. And so Jesus, ironically, actually, I'll just point out, the last time we heard about the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was sending them into the fields for the harvest that were ripe with harvest uh, and warning them that persecution would come. And now, all of a sudden, here we are in a literal field with literal persecution for these poor disciples. The accusation of the Pharisees is very specific. They are breaking the Sabbath law. What we have is a story in this passage about who interprets the Bible the right way. It, 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 Jesus clearly, we see, does not agree with the Pharisees' interpretation of Scripture. And this is important for us because to just say, I just read the Bible, simply is not true. We all read the Bible and interpret it. Some ob- obvious examples of that are the fact that none of us have brought the cloak that left Paul left with Carpus and Troas, or Paul's scrolls, especially the parchments, like he asks in 2 Timothy. Why? Well, because we know, and we've interpreted, that that doesn't literally mean we're supposed to do that. None of you greeted me with a holy kiss today, even though Scripture clearly commands it. I'm reading Eugene Peterson's uh, biography right now, and in 1939, Eugene Peterson's family didn't have a Christmas tree. And because his mom read Jeremiah 10, 3, verse 4, which in the King James, just for effect, says, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest and work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so it does not move. And Eugene's mom read it and said, look, Jeremiah predicted the vain evil of 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 Christmas trees, and so we're not having a Christmas tree. Eugene says that in 1940, the tree was back, and his mom never said any reason why. (laughs) He also says it was a horrible Christmas. His friends went from house to house looking under the tree to see how many presents there were, and he kept saying, no, I'm busy, sorry, you can't come to my house. (laughs) So we all interpret the Bible. No one reads it objectively. The question is not if you are interpreting the Bible. The questions are actually more, do you know what lens you are interpreting with? Are you aware of the way that you interpret the Bible? Do you know what are the things that you are reading into the scripture? Do you know how to read it the right way? We do a lot of harm to people when we say we just read the Bible without acknowledging the many factors that shape the way we read it. And so this battle of correct interpretation, Christians still have it, but it, it was just as fierce in the time of Jesus. How do you interpret the Bible? Who reads it rightly? How do you obey the law? And so Jesus will say of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 4, for they tie together heavy packs that are impossible to carry, They put them on their shoulders of others, but are unwilling to lift a finger to help them. Contrast that to what Jesus just said in the chapter right before the one we're talking about today. Chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard and carrying a heavy load. I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble. I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. So the Pharisees' way of interpreting Scripture becomes a heavy load that people are unable to bear. Jesus offers another way, one that is easy to bear. So the interpretation and the rules of keeping the law for the Pharisees had become an unwieldy burden, especially when it came to keeping the Sabbath holy, the, I think, Fourth Commandment? Is that correct, somebody? Fourth? We're going to say it's the Fourth To keep the Sabbath holy, the people were commanded not to work. This was for all the people, slave or free, living in the land. Also, all animals were not to be working. And that raises a question. What's work? How do you know if you're working? So here's the totality of what the Bible teaches about working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35, verse 3. Don't start a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Numbers 15, 22 to 36 is the story of a man who's found gathering wood on the Sabbath and was put to death for it. And one other possible hint comes from Nehemiah 13, verse 9, where Nehemiah has the gates of Jerusalem closed for 24 hours over the Sabbath so that to make sure no load would come into the city. And that's it. That is the full biblical counsel on what not working on the Sabbath means. Don't work, don't light fires. Don't carry sticks or loads. Done. But as you can imagine, that doesn't feel like enough. What if I accidentally do something wrong? And so there were schools of interpretation that rise up because those rules didn't seem clear enough. And so maybe we should make some more rules to make sure that we don't accidentally break the rules and offend God. Now, the rabbis or legal experts did not all agree on what you were supposed to do. There were lots of different views of what you could and could not do. But Jesus doesn't fall into any of those camps. Remember that Jesus is a rabbi. He is a teacher. And as such, Jesus is supposed to teach his disciples how to obey God, the right way of living. There are stories of um, disciples of rabbis who would follow their rabbi into the washroom in case there was a special way of going to the bathroom to worship God while you were there. Some prayer or, or action that would help you follow God better. And so Jesus is this one who is teaching his disciples how to worship God. And so the Pharisees would expect Jesus to say something like, okay guys, that's enough, cut it out. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you don't work on the Sabbath. But he doesn't. So the Pharisees come and accuse Jesus of being a bad teacher. The core of the problem with Jesus, the core of their problem with Jesus is this. How can he claim to be teaching people what the kingdom of heaven is like if he refuses to teach people how to obey God's law? God's reign on earth should include obeying the law. Why does Jesus not do this? And if Jesus is okay with the disciples picking a few little grains of head and eating, well, where does that slippery slope stop? Can we grind the grain? Can we make bread? What's next if you start down this road, Jesus? Jesus. And to the Pharisees, Jesus must clearly be a false teacher, one who is leading his disciples away from biblical orthodoxy, away from the kingdom of heaven. And so how does Jesus respond? He says to them, haven't you heard, read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? He went into God's house and he broke the law by eating the bread of the presence, which only priests were allowed to eat. Or haven't you read the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple treat the Sabbath as any other day and are still innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the second time Jesus has quoted Hosea 6 verse 6. The first time he told the Pharisees to go learn the meaning of this passage it was in Matthew 9.13. They didn't like that Jesus spent so much time with sinners, eating with them. And he told them, go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. Again, Jesus pulls this passage from Hosea for us. It's like Jesus is showing us the interpretive lens for how we're supposed to read the Bible. How do you understand the law? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees, it turns out, didn't do their homework. They were trying to get a passing mark in biblical interpretation, but they missed the key. And those of you who are teachers will know, you have your rubric and you set it out and you say, must include thesis statement, must include quotes from author, right? And you put out the rubric, you say, this is what you need to do to pass. And the Pharisees tried to do the assignment on their own and they didn't look at the rubric. They missed the key interpretive lens, the key part that they were supposed to understand. I want mercy and not sacrifices. The Pharisees didn't do their homework and they failed the test. The Pharisees should have known by now that mercy has saturated every story and every encounter of Jesus in the last three chapters of Matthew. As we read the scripture, he teaches us here in Matthew 12, 3 to 4, that he... Feeding hungry people is more important than observing the law. To prove his point, he turns to the story of David eating sacred bread. See, he says to the Pharisees, can you not see how human need comes before the requirements of the law? As Anna Winters has written in her commentary, the Pharisees have misunderstood the law's deepest requirements. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What Jesus has done in feeding his hungry companions displays a compassion that is at the heart of the law. The law is not being laid aside. It is being rightly interpreted. So Jesus is not destroying the law. He's fulfilling the law. Later in the gospel, Jesus will say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. Years later, Paul will write to the church in Galatia, for the whole of the law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, Galatians 4.14. The law is fulfilled when we love God and love our neighbors, or put another way, we love God through loving our neighbors, caring for them with mercy, compassion, justice, risk-taking, love. And so the story continues in Matthew. Jesus left that place, went into a synagogue, and a man with a withered hand was there. Wanting to bring charges against Jesus, they asked, does the law allow a person to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, who among you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath and will not, I like this translation, who will not take hold of it and pull it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So the law allows a person to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did. And he was made healthy just like, it was made healthy just like the other one. The Pharisees went out to meet in order to find a way to destroy Jesus. So again, we come back to this image of sheep and the shepherd. The Pharisees lay out a trap. They test Jesus. And Jesus turns to the crowd and he appeals to common wisdom. If you have a sheep that's stuck, don't you help it? Of course, there should not be Sabbath controversy here. Everyone knows that if there is a lamb in distress, you take hold of it and you save it. Jesus is saying, you are the sheep, I am the shepherd. I am here to rescue you. Rodney Reeves in his commentary on Matthew points to a deeper layer in this story because unlike most of the healings, Jesus doesn't actually touch this man in this story. Instead, he he takes hold of the crippled lamb in front of him. He uses the phrase, stretch out your hand, which are exactly the words that God says to Moses when he delivers his sheep from the pit of Egyptian slavery. The Lord of the Sabbath has come. He is delivering his people from all that oppresses them, all that enslave them. He is bringing healing and justice and compassion. You see, while Jesus gives us the key for interpreting the Bible the right way, that the law must be interpreted through the lens of mercy, there's also a whole lot more happening here. One last section from Matthew. Jesus knows what they, what they intend to do, so he went away from there. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. But he ordered them not to spread the word about him so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Look, my servant whom I chose, the one I love in whom I find great pleasure. I'll put my spirit upon him and he will announce judgment to the Gentiles. He won't argue or shout and nobody will hear his voice in the streets. He won't break a bent stock. He won't snuff out a smoldering wick until he makes justice win. And the Gentiles will put his hope in his name. Yes, Jesus is teaching us how to read the Bible the right way, but he is also clearly identifying himself as God with us. This passage... We see the supremacy of Jesus who rules over tradition and over the Sabbath. He identifies himself as God with us, the one who delivers his people from the pit. Here we have God, the Lord of the Sabbath, the good shepherd, the savior of people. He is the one who is greater than the temple, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who can take hold of his sheep and save them. Jesus identifies himself as Israel's deliverer from the pit. Stretch out your hand. Through this passage, we see Jesus setting himself up as the only authority. Jesus is the one who tells us how to read Scripture because Jesus is the divine force that lay behind the writing of Scripture. Jesus is making this controversy all about himself. It is all about Jesus, who is the king, and he is asking, will you follow me, the king, and will you follow my way of following the law? What we see in verse 15 is that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd because as Jesus leaves, the crowds come after him, at least for the moment. What we see is Jesus doesn't look for a fight. He wasn't healing people to make a name for himself. He wasn't doing this to gain popularity. Jesus healed people because they were like sheep stuck in a pit, and he is a shepherd. He didn't go around arguing with people. And like Isaiah predicted, he's not arguing on the streets. He's not fighting with people. Instead, he will go and he will be the compassionate shepherd. He will bring justice and he will not stop until they all put their faith and trust in his, their hope in his name. Like Isaiah, um, so I believe that this picture gives us a good picture of both how do we engage in reading the Bible. We read the Bible with Jesus at its center. Jesus' interpretive framework of mercy over sacrifice and love of neighbor as the fulfillment of what the law commands. But it also gives us a picture for our church and our evangelism, the way that we reach out to people. That we go to the lost sheep and have compassion on them. That we feed them when they are hungry and we heal them when they are sick. When we see hungry people... We do not break a bent reed or put out a smoldering wick. Rather, we stretch out our hand and we take hold in the work of deliverance, of justice, of healing, of reconciliation. And we do this because Jesus, God with us, showed us that he is the Savior, the Deliverer, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Good Shepherd, the Great One who will love and save and redeem his sheep, us and the world. Amen.